If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to continue in a series, uh, our Advent series. Uh, those of you that weren't here last week, we said we're, we're pausing uh, our Luke 15 series to enter into what uh, thousands of churches and uh, for hundreds of years, the church universal has, has taken this time to, to pause and reflect and to see and to savor Jesus. And we said last week that, that Advent is to Christmas what Lent is to Easter. It's a time of preparation. It's a time of spiritual, hopefully spiritual renewal and awakening. Historically, it's been a time of fasting. Um, and uh, so we haven't seen that so much. It's, it's not so much the, the Santa Claus and the lights and the music, which, which is all good and fine. But historically, it's been this time of pre- pre- preparation of our souls. And so we said last week, if, if we're going to have any hope to, to come into yet another Christmas season and uh, have a meaningful time with the Lord, then uh, we're going to have to build into our, our, our day a time to pause to see and savor Jesus. That, that this time of year, if you were with us last week, uh, is like when Joshua Bell, the, the virtuoso violinist, played a free concert in the metro station of the Washington, D.C. metro, and he was hidden in plain sight. Uh, Jesus is like that. He's the glorious one, the ma- magnificent one, and yet, uh, ironically, this is a time of year where he is hidden in plain sight so often. And so we said, you got to pause and one of the ways we invited you to pause with us together is to uh, go through, read, or listen to uh, the devotion by John Piper we put on the website, redemptionparker.org, uh, Good News of Great Joy. And if you haven't started that, start today. I think we're on day 10 of, of Advent, or actually day, I don't know. It's actually just the seventh day of Advent for this year. Every year it's a little bit different depending on when Sundays fall. But anyway... You can join us uh, and pause. It takes like three or four minutes a day. It's just a time to pause and reflect and think about Advent. Well, today, as we continue, uh, not, not, not so much in the, 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 the Black Friday, the, the, the frenzy and all that, that is Christmas, but in the more historic sense of Advent, uh, Advent has, has done two things. It's a, it's a looking back, uh, but it's also a looking forward and realizing that it's a time of, of waiting. I don't know about you, but, well, I do know about you. you. You don't wait well because you're an American, and I don't wait well. Some of us wait better than others, um, and, and this time of year uh, is, is, it should be a time of waiting. When I was growing up, my my mom did just a fantastic job of building anticipation at Christmas time. So the, the, the tree went up, and we were little kids. We did the little popcorn, you know, strings and strands around, and we had the homemade crafts. It looked terrible, uh, but my mom would, would just start to pack presents under the tree early on, and so there would build this anticipation. And I always remember uh, just waking up on Christmas morning and, and going downstairs and just seeing uh, the presents explode. There was, there was more than had been building up at the time, just uh, that great anticipation. But uh, I wasn't the best waiter. <laughs> uh, so I was, uh, 
uh, also a latchkey kid, or you might call today a, a free-range child. Uh, what that meant was my mom worked, and so I got home like three uh, off the bus, and so for the next three to four hours, it was free reign. And so uh, I remember one time when I was about 12, I had a Nintendo. I had asked for a, a new game, a football game, and, and I looked at early in the season uh, that there was a box, and I, I like, I know what size and shape Nintendo games come in, and so I'm went, I'm like, yeah, that's, and it took about five minutes for me to make a decision. I'm getting into this now. And so I took it over, stared at it. I had nothing but time. I had three hours. I'm looking at it and I'm like, how do I open this in such a way uh, that I can play it and no one knows? And so that's what I did. I did a fantastic job. I opened up the side, slid it out. Yes, it's the game I've been asking for. Uh, I took that out. I'm like, okay, I'm going to play it now. And so, but I can't just leave this light box. I'm going to go get one of the other games that I'm bored with, replace it, and put it back under the tree. And for the next three weeks after school, I played that game all day long. Christmas morning comes. And it's time to open it, and I open it, and I'm like, awesome. I'm already bored with the game. <laughs> like, like, just what I wanted. I'm not great at waiting. Don't judge me. You're not great at waiting either. <laughs> okay? So you're, we're, we're in the, the, the least capable waiting culture in the history of humanity. We're, we're terrible at waiting. We're terrible at, at I mean, we have a, a saying that says, I can't wait for, but that's, that's translation, that's transition from, man, I'm really excited to, no, literally, I can't wait. So I'm just going to get it now. Uh, you know, and our whole market economy is built on the fact that you and I can't wait. And so um, if, you, if you don't have the money, well, don't worry about it. No payments till July. Let July you worry about it, okay? And you're like, I don't care about July, me. I'll, I'll just get that now. And then July you comes around and I'm like, what is this? I don't even like that thing anymore. Uh, and then July you can worry about that burden. But who cares? That's July you. You're now December you. And so just get it now. There's this, this, uh, this, this lack of way, like the most quick and I think it's part of the reason is because we have more opportunity and capacity to not wait than ever before. Like, like we can skip across the surface. Oh, that didn't satisfy you? Do the next thing and do the next thing. And this time of year exacerbates that because uh, this time of year builds into us what uh, Mark Sayers, a pastor in Australia, calls uh, an over-realized eschatology. An over-realized eschatology, meaning uh, that, that this time of year is we put so much hope that this is going to be the year. You're going to get the Red Rider BB gun and not shoot your eye out. Uh, you're you're going to get the, that your boss is going to come through with the Christmas bonus because you've already put the down payment on the pool. And you're, that's a Christmas. Uh, uh, what is that? Christmas vacation, right? Uh, your dad's going to step down from his office tower in, in the publishing world and see you as his son and embrace you as his son, finally, Elf. Uh, and so th there's like, man, this is going to be the year. Family's not going to fight. Uh, there's not going to, you know, you're, you're actually going to get along. There's not going to be that big political uh, disruption. Good luck with that. It's 2017. That, I'm just telling you up front, that's not going to happen. Uh, but uh, 
uh, there's all this hope and expectation. This is the year when we're going to wake up Christmas morning. It's going to be a, a light snow. And in the driveway, it's going to be a Lexus with a big red bow on it. And we're all going to have those. Uh, or, he's, or we're all going to go to Jared's. And that's going to be good. And you'll get that. Uh, or you're going to get the iPhone X. I mean, you got to have the X because the 7 is no longer enough. We just jump from 7 to X. And, and so... Um, and there's, let me just say this. If you got a Lexus, you got, you went to, he went to Jared's, and you got an iPhone, pr- praise God for that. Enjoy all those things. But they will overpromise and underdeliver. They will not satisfy your soul like the commercial wants you to believe. And so how are we going to pull, besides pausing and singing and savoring Jesus, how, how are we going to wait well in this time? How are we going to be a, a people that learns patience? This time is a, a time of shadows that should point us to the substance. But as a culture, we're, we're putting so much hope in the shadows that the gift is really going to satisfy us, that, that this is the year when the kids are going to open all their presents and they're not going to fight. They're actually going to enjoy their gifts to at least New Year's Day. You know, like that's our, our hope, that maybe New Year's Day uh, will happen. And every movie is, is a promise that wraps up with a nice bow at the end. And like, yes, that's how I'm, I'm going to do it. Every superhero movie is a longing for Jesus to come. Sometimes he puts on spandex with an S on it. Sometimes he puts on a hat and acts like a bat. But nonetheless, it's a longing culturally for Jesus to come and deliver us. What's the, the movie that's out right now, that superhero thing? Uh, League of Legends, is that it? What is it? Justice League. Okay, see, I, I'm not a big superhero guy, but I know it, it, it's, it it's, touches something in our collective conscience that is a longing for Jesus. Listen to what Ben Affleck, who plays Batman, said about this. Affleck is not a believer, um, doesn't fear God, all these things, and yet he, he touches on something. He says this. Part of the appeal of this genre, this this superhero genre, is wish fulfillment. He says this, wouldn't it be nice if there was somebody who can save us from all this? Then listen to what he says. Save us from ourselves. Save us from the consequences of our actions. And save us from people who are evil. Wouldn't that be nice? And he's like, Ben... You're longing for Jesus and you don't know it because we are satisfied by the shadows. We're not satisfied. We just think the next shadow. I'll go to the next shadow and the next shadow and we skim across the surface. We have no cultural depth. I was listening to Freakonomics podcast yesterday and they were talking about, they did a study that 65% of Americans' households could not come up with $2,000 in 30 days if they were in a financial crunch. But the average household that plays the lotto spends $1,000 a year. It's this this cultural idea that there's got to be a shortcut. There's got to be a quicker way to get what we need. There's got to be something. But but Advent historically has said there's no shortcuts this is a time, not, not so much of feasting, though that's part of it. This is a time of also fasting and longing for Jesus to finally and once for all return. 
In the 60s and 70s, a Stanford psychologist did a very famous test. Maybe you've heard of it. The marshmallow test is what it's become known as, uh, where, where they gathered six- and seven-year-olds in a room, and they, they said, okay, uh, after talking to them for a while, the, the questioner puts a marshmallow on the table and says, I need to step out for about 15 minutes. Um, you can have the marshmallow now, or if you wait, I'll give you two marshmallows when I come back. So they go behind the double glass or the, the mirror, and then they're watching the kids. And, and some of the kids are like me, just, I'll let the future self deal with that, and, uh, you know, that, that's fine. And other kids are, like, they're really wrestling with it. And, and, and some just turn their back to the marshmallow if, they, if I just hold out. And, and others are, like, whistling singing songs to themselves, not looking at it. Some are like transfixed by it, so they sit on their hands and, and like you can see the wrestle in their soul. Oh, one kid, he, he, they thought he was about to eat it, but he didn't eat it. Uh, it was sitting on the table. He got real close, and then he began to lick around the marshmallow <laughs> as if the flavor had somehow transmogrified into the wood of the desk. And, and uh, so they did this study. Now, what, what's the deal with the study? The study is still going on. So now you've got two groups, kids that could not wait and kids that had learned to wait. And this is kids in the 60s and 70s. Uh, I wonder how they would do the study now. But what they found is, and they continue to track, is in every area of measurable success, the kids that could wait were more successful. Body mass index, SAT scores, uh, household income, education levels, so if there's, even in a study like that, if there's evidence that actually waiting is for our good, then maybe it's part of God's design. Maybe God has something for us in the waiting that is for our good and for his glory. And Advent invites us to wait. I believe God wants to redeem our longings, to move us from the shadow to the substance. Let me ask you this before we open the passage. Do you ever wonder why God is making you wait for that thing, whatever that thing is? Maybe you've been waiting a week or, or years or decades. Maybe it's to get married. Maybe it's to have kids. Maybe it's to finally get done with school. Maybe it's this thing or that thing. Do you ever wonder why God has made you wait? Because if you, if you know if you study God, you know God is capable. It's not that he's incapable of answering your request or your longing. He can speak and the universe can come into existence. We look back at the first advent and we know that he is faithful to his promise. He, he cares about you, so it's not because he doesn't care. There must be something else why he's making you wait and making us wait for his final return. I think there is. Uh, again, we'll be in Luke chapter 2 this morning. But, but before I do that, just think about the history of God's people. So ever since the garden, Genesis 3.15, as, as sin has come into the world, God said this to the serpent. He says, uh, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And the question right away is, why didn't he just send in the, the snake crusher in that moment? Like we could have wrapped this thing up really quickly. But he didn't. He set out a plan that would take thousands and thousands and thousands of years to accomplish. 
So already, from the very beginning, he has his people wait. And ever since our first parents got kicked out of the garden, we've been longing for peace. We've been longing for home, and we've been chasing things that don't ultimately deliver on their promises, and we've been waiting. And then he comes to Abram in the land of Ur. He's 75 years old. His wife is 66 years old. And he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And he's like, no, I'm kind of past that, that, that age where we have kids. He says, don't worry about it. You're going to be a great nation. So they, Abram believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. But then they wait another 10 years. Still no kid is on the scene. And Sarai gets the idea, like sometimes we get the idea, maybe God needs our help. And she's like, I'm obviously now, now 70. 76 years old, I'm obviously past the age of childbearing, so maybe God needs my help. I've got this young maidservant named Hagar. Abram, why don't you just sleep with her? And he's like, okay. And uh, he has a kid, and God's like, no, 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 no. That's not what I promised. Do you not trust the promise? And then he waits another 14, 15 years. And then when he's 99 years old, God comes to him again. Now, none of us have waited 99 years for anything. I know that. I'm smart like that. But he made Abram the father of nations, the the, the line that Jesus would eventually come through 99 years. His wife's 90 years old. When he comes to him at 99, he says, okay, your wife's going to be pregnant this time next year. She's laughing at this over the side, and God's like, why is she laughing? And then she's like, I didn't laugh. You did laugh. But nonetheless, God fulfills his promise. You forward in the history of God's people, at one point they're, they're in um, slavery for 400 years. And then God fulfills his promise and brings them out through Moses. He says, Moses, you're going to set my people free. But first, go off into uh, tend some sheep for 40 years. 40 years. <laughs> I don't like waiting four minutes. Like, if you put anything in the microwave more than four minutes, you're a psychopath. Like, that's... Like, we don't wait well. And then he pulls his people out of slavery. And they're like, you're going to wait in the desert for 40 years. Just this waiting and waiting. God's people would get tired of waiting, and they would turn their back on God. They would go after false gods and idols, and, and God would send prophet after prophet saying, come back, come back, don't prostitute yourselves, don't, don't be unfaithful to God. And, and in these prophecies, they would also say, don't worry, a day is coming when the anointed one, the Messiah, would come, and he will restore and redeem Israel. And he does that through many of the prophets like Micah and Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7, he says a, a, a virgin's going to uh, get pregnant, and it's going to be a sign of Emmanuel. But in chapter 9, he says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's an amazing promise of the Messiah who would come 700 years before Jesus came. He made his people wait 700 years, like three times as long as America's been a nation. He said, Don't worry, this is going to happen. Now wait. 700 years. 
wait. 700 years later, Jesus would step down from glory, enter into humanity. And when we pick up the story, he's 40 days old. 40 days ago, he was born in Bethlehem. They've now traveled after the time of purification for Mary into the temple, and that's where we pick this up. There's two people in this scene that have been waiting a very long time, Simeon and Anna. And I think in their lives, we see people that chase the substance and not the shadow, people that I want to be like when I grow up spiritually. Look at this, verse 22. It says, and when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So here's what's going on here. Uh, so uh, to, to, to completely fulfill the law, even when Jesus is an infant, uh, Luke is setting out that Jesus, that there's not going to be any question about his fulfilling of the law, that they will bring him to the temple. They won't take the side route and just pay some money as they could have. They bring him to the temple and you offer him up to the Lord and you make a sacrifice. And if you're very, very, very poor, you make the sacrifice of a couple pigeons. And that's what they do because Jesus, who was glorious in eternity, past, steps down into the poorest of the poor, and he enters into this family, and they make the offering. And then it goes on. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. We know from the context, this man is a very old man. Listen to the adjectives used to describe this man. And this man was righteous, It's not righteous in the sense that he was blameless and perfect before God and didn't need a Savior. He was righteous in the sense that, one, he was zealous for God, zealous for the law, zealous for for applying it to his life. But like Abraham, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was righteous and devout. He was about pursuing God with his whole life. He was waiting And there's the word again. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Both with Simeon and Anna, we'll see that their waiting is not passive. Waiting, we think of of doing nothing. But no, their waiting was active. It was was soul-growing waiting. It was uh, get your roots deep in the truths and promises of God kind of waiting. He was waiting for the consolation, the comfort of Israel. And then check out what it says. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. So he's got uh, a righteousness, a devoutness. He's got this active waiting, and the Holy Spirit is active in his life, and the Holy Spirit's revealing things to him in his life and then verse 27, and he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. You know, like taking, the str- taking Julian, just a stranger coming up to you and saying, I'm going to give a blessing over this kid. Just take him up in his arms. 
And he blessed God and he said this amazing thing. Again, under the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So again, the Holy Spirit is speaking through him. He's blessing Jesus. He's pronouncing a vision for what Jesus is and who he is. And I want you to see two things. First, he says in verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation. So Jesus hasn't grown up, hasn't died on a cross, hasn't been buried, resurrected. But to see Jesus at any point is to see salvation. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said. Whether in Bethlehem's manger or on Calvary's cross or on his throne of glory from where he will judge the quick and the dead, wherever we see Christ, we see the salvation of God. He was able to see through this child, his life, that he will be salvation. But then he says something else that has never been said before at this point, just to start it off from the beginning, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. So those of us that don't have Jewish background, this is really good news. It's no longer about just the the Israelites being God's chosen people, but this would be good news to every tribe, tongue, and nation through this child. Drop down to verse 36. We'll look at Anna. Now, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. Again, the Bible should not be read like a newspaper. This is not just an unrolling of the facts. The Bible invites us to enter into the story. So think about her life. She probably got married at 15 years old. She was married for seven years when tragedy struck her family. So at 22 years old, she's a widow. And for the next 62 years, she's waiting on God. She's pursuing God. She's had brokenness. She's had pain. She's had suffering. And all those things God is using and redeeming. 62 years By the way, my daughter's first daughter's named after Anna, Zoe Anna, because of this. We want want that kind of richness. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Again, waiting is not passive. It is this active, longing, praying, passionately begging the Lord, please fulfill your promise in my life day and night. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him of all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. 700 years after the promise of Isaiah, some people still took those promises seriously. The vast majority did not. It's been 700 years We've got to move on with our lives. But there were some people that were like, yes, Lord, we believe. Come. And now Anna, under the power of the Holy Spirit, says, this is it. It's here. It's ready. And they rejoice with God. Their, their spiritual depth and root is unheard of in our day. But even in this scene, we see that it's not about the baby. 
It's not even about the first advent, but the second advent. Look at verse 33. This is after after Simeon has prophesied that amazing prophecy and praise over Jesus. It says, And his father, that's Joseph, and his mother marveled at what was said about him. So they're just kind of marveling, kind of basking in the glow of the moment. But then look what he says. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. In other words, this child's going to cause some havoc. There's going to be some angst and some turmoil that this child's going to cause. Just because the child's here doesn't mean peace is finally here. There's going to be wars. There's going to be uh, pain. There's going to be suffering. And this child is going to be the catalyst of all those things. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, Mary. I think he's pointing to 33 years from now, Mary, you're going to be just a few feet away, and this baby boy will be naked and bleeding and suffocating to death on a cross, and you'll be there. It'll be as if a a sword will be piercing your own soul, Mary, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed It's the inauguration of the kingdom. It's the inauguration of salvation, of peace, and all those things. But we're not there yet. There's still another advent. But nonetheless, let's be like Simeon and Anna. Let's let's wait well and long deeply for advent. Let's renew our longing for Jesus. Know that God has a purpose for what you're waiting for. If he hasn't answered it with a yes, it's either you're asking for the wrong things or he has a purpose in your waiting. So how do we as a community enter into Advent and wait well? Well, those of us that are parents, let's model waiting well. Let's build anticipation in this season. Let's make it about seeing and savoring Jesus. Let's do that ourselves so our kids can see that in us. Let's wait well and worship actively. Let's, let's use the shadows and, and to point us to the substance. And so if you if you've, uh, have gifts and feasts and family gathering, all those things are good things, but, but let's help our kids and ourselves understand that all the gifts under the tree point us to the ultimate gift that is Jesus. When we gather together as a family and we have amazing feasts, let us remember that that feast points to a day when he will gather the tribes and the wedding supper of the Lamb and we'll have the ultimate feast And when we uh, gather uh, with family, let's remember that he is going to gather a family of God for himself forever. Let's, Let's follow the shadow to the substance. And even when those things do not deliver on their promise, that's also an opportunity for us to wait and long for the good thing. When the, when the toy breaks, we, we, we recognize that it was never meant to fulfill our soul like it's, it promised to do. When, when after the feast you get hungry again, let's remember that a day is coming when the bread of life will fill us forever. And when the family gathering devolves into fighting and, and gossip and all those things, let's remember a day is coming when the family of God, sons and daughters, will gather and there will be love, peace, joy, and hope in the family of God. 
To that end, I want to uh, pray for us. I have a short video just to stir our affections in this way, and then I'll lead us in communion. Let's pray. God, we, we want to be a people that are not so easily satisfied by making mud pies in the ghetto, but uh, invited to a, uh, a holiday on vacation at the seashore with you, as C.S. Lewis said. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that wait well and that this time, in the midst of all the craziness and chaos, uh, you would stir our affections for you and know that our waiting is for your glory and for our good. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. this rescue that was coming through the bloodline of Abraham and they had seen where Micah proclaimed about a ruler to be born in Bethlehem and Daniel prophesied about the restoration of Jerusalem Isaiah's cry about the Son of God coming to them so for them it was anticipation this groaning was growing generation after generation knowing he was holy no matter what the situation but they longed for him they yearned for him they waited for him on the edge of their seats, on the edge of where excitement and containment meet. They waited like a child watches out the window for their father to return from work. They waited like a groom stares at the double doors at the back of the church. They waited and in their waiting they had hope hope that was fully pledged to a God they had not seen to a God who had promised a king a king who would reign over the enemy over Satan's tyranny they waited and so it was centuries of expectations with various combinations of differing schools of thought some people expecting a political king who would rise to the throne through the wars that he fought while others expecting a priest who would restore peace through the penetration of the pharisees facade yet a baby 100 percent human 100 percent god and so the word became flesh and was here to dwell among us in his fullness grace upon grace Jesus you see through him and for him all things were created and in him all things are sustained God had made himself known for the glory of his name and this child would one day rise as king but it would not be by the sword or an insurgent regime it would be by his life a life that would revolutionize everything the world knew. He would endure temptation and persecution all while staying true, humbly healing the broken, the sick and hurting too, ministering reconciliation, turning the old to new. A life that would be the very definition of what life really costs, saying, if you desire life, then your crown must be lost. And he would portray that with his own life as his father would pour out and exhaust, and he would be obedient to the point of death even death upon a cross. And so just 33 years after the day that he laid swaddled in the hay, he hung on a tree, suffocating, dying in our place, absorbing wrath that is rightly ours, but we could never bear the weight. And so he took that punishment and he put it in the grave and he died. And when I say that he died, what I mean is that he died. There's no breath. There's no heartbeat, there's no sign of life. 
You see, God is a God of justice and the penalty for our sin equals death. That's what Christ did on the cross. And then just three days later, in accordance with the scriptures, he was raised from the grave. And when I say that he was raised, what I mean is that he was raised. Lungs breathing, heart pumping, blood pulsing through his veins. The things that he promised were true. He is the risen son of God offering life to me and you, turning our mourning into dancing, our weeping into laughing, our sadness into joy. By his mercy, we are called his own. By his grace, we will never be left alone. By his love, he is preparing our home. And by his blood, we sing before his throne that Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. But he washed it white as snow. So now we, as his bride, are the ones waiting. Like the saints that came before us, we're anticipating. He has shown us that this world is fading and he has caused our desire to be for him. And so church, stay ready. Keep your heart focused and your eyes steady. Worship him freely, never forgetting his great love for you. Emmanuel. God with us.